You're listening to a Sim Media podcast. In a world of iconic riffs, immortal solos, the highest notes, and the most guttural growls, the debate of the greats has raged on for decades. And we settle them here. This is The Great Metal Standoff. Ladies and gentlemen of the rock and roll, punk, prog, hardcore, thrash, and heavy metal community, my name is Jason Evans, and this is The Great Metal Standoff the podcast that hits music's greatest albums in track-by-track track combat. It only took two and a bit years, but we have finally, finally reached 20 episodes. Yippee! To mark the occasion, Imran and I decided on pitting a special, spectacular battle between the debut albums of The Beatles and The Rolling Stones. A battle where, surely... There are no higher stakes than this. Joining Imran and I will be an old friend of ours on the show, Salome Hazelgrove, who has appeared on previous episodes to talk Green Day, Weezer, Silverchair, Nirvana, and plenty other bands. She also co-hosted the Mosh Pit weekly radio show with us at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic last year. This is going to mark her first appearance on the standoff in over a year. Now... There is an obvious question we must address too. That question is, why on a show with the word metal in the name are we doing a battle between the Beatles and the Rolling Stones? Well, thanks to the blues, swing and Motown legends of the 40s and 50s, in pushing the boundaries of their sound, setting the foundations of rock and roll as we know it, Two young British bands began to walk the pathway paved by these greats. They began to play their songs for the fun and joy of music, for their friends, family and local community, with a dream of something bigger, a dream that playing music could become their career. But they also had the knack to find their own voice and make any song in the world their own. What began as records that contained a mix of covers and original material became the launch of two careers that even the word legendary doesn't even begin to describe the impact on the music world they have made. As they travelled along the rock and roll path, paved by the icons of blues, they would redesign and reimagine the sound with such great success that every band or artist that came after them dreaming of the true joy music brings and daring to explore it in any and every facet, drew their influence and inspiration from these two bands at some point in their musical journeys, whether it be rock, metal, or any other kind of music. So on this edition of The Great Metal Standoff, Imran, Salome, and myself pay homage to The Beatles and The Rolling Stones, for being the bands who innovated rock and everything else connected to it, inspiring all the bands that we talk about with such ecstatic passion on this show, by breaking down the songs that started their careers in the first place, their debut albums, Please Please Me, and The Rolling Stones. Here's how it will go. 
Every album battle will be contested in track-by-track format by our podcast panel. Each individual panelist will select a winner of each pairing. The winning track receives a point to that individual's tally score. Tracks on albums that go uncontested can receive a tally point if a panelist awards it a gold star. Once the battle is over, the album with the highest tally score will receive one grand point for that album. If a panelist's tally score results in a draw, both albums will receive a half grand point each. The album with the most grand points will be declared the winner. It's a question as old as time. Beatles or Rolling Stones? It's never going to be definitively answered, but it's sure fun to talk about. Let's begin. Roll the audio. Reunited. And it feels so good. How are you, Sal, mate? First time in a year. Hello. Um, yeah, wow. I would like to say a lot's changed since I was last year with you, but it hasn't. Nope. We're still locked down. We're still on Zoom. Like Nine Inch Nails, every day is exactly the same. But Imran's here for podcast number nine, so at least we're in good hands. Hell yeah. We're in for a doozy. Is, um... These two albums, I realized, I'm a massive classic rock fan, but uh, I re- these two albums made me realize how much I've been missing out, not listening to the Rolling Stones and not listening to the Beatles. Is Not listen to either of these albums or these artists in general, because I know when I looked back, I was like, wow, I really miss the early work, but are you just a complete coming in as a novice or is it just again you were kind of like me and it was the early work that sort of evaded your repertoire it, it was more the early work i mean just this year i'd started listening to like the later beatles albums the the weirder ones i guess and in terms of the rolling stones i mean i've only ever listened to hits so yeah the, i was pleasantly surprised with both albums but uh yeah i it just made me realize how much i've been missing Let's get something out of the way straight away. It's the age-old question, Beatles or Rolling Stones. We're not going to be answering that question today. All we can answer today, or at least give an opinion on, is which band got the better start. That's all we can really talk about tonight, because we're never going to find out who was truly the better band between the two. It would be a whole I, I don't think there is an answer. You're right, Imran, there probably isn't. Yeah. <laughs> it, it would make its own series and we could be here debating for 10 weeks and still not get any closer to it than we will attempt to get today yeah look let's kind of just just keep it at the debut and cut it off from there yep. uh, nice and simple <laughs> so imran what were your first impressions then overall between both well i'm actually probably my favorite genre of music of all time is old old timey mississippi delta blues like muddy waters Howling Wolf, that kind of really old style blues. So I was very pleasantly surprised with the Rolling Stones album. I, I very much enjoyed that album. With the Beatles, I was, I mean, listening to the later Beatles works, I can, I can kind of pick up on uh, where, where they kind of started uh, in terms of the more boy bandy kind of stuff. But um, also, I, there were some good songs on there. I don't know. They're, they're great albums. I'm keen to delve into them. Yes, and also, Salmo, we're recording pretty much in the wake. This week, we the world has lost Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts, aged 80. 
So we'll also consider this a bit of a tribute to Charlie Watts. Let's celebrate his drumming on this pod today. But another point I do want to make is, let's put it this way. Why is the Beatles and the Rolling Stones on a show called The Great Metal Standoff? I reckon, Salma, you could probably agree with this point. Based on the fact that all of the music we love and that we've talked about on this show before, pretty much, if you you take it all the way back, travel all the way back to the birth of rock and roll, a lot of the music we love today does eventually draw back to the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, of course, the elephant in the room, as you mentioned, is Charlie Watts. I think you only had to look at some of the musicians that were reaching out to tribute him this week. People who are legends within their own right are the people that are tributing him online, um, you know, on a local level, on social media. Just two I saw last week were Michael Richards from Violent Soho, Ben Gillies from Silverchair doing a tribute. Um, and then, you know, on a more global level, you had Stuart Copeland of The Police and Max Weinberg, who drums for Bruce Springsteen, also saying, you know, Charlie Watts is not just a drummer, he is a genre, which that is pretty glowing praise from people who are pretty impressive in their own right. Um, and I guess, you know, it's, and then you've got The Beatles on the other hand, who pretty much anyone you ask, who is your influence? The Beatles inevitably always comes up, even though, like Imran said, they were almost a the birth of a boy band but they also had that rock element they're such a unique sound and when they exploded onto the scene I don't think we've seen anything like it since and to be honest we may not ever see that again it's really really crazy how quickly they blew up um the fact this album that we're reviewing today please please me had to be rush recorded in like three days just because their first two singles it was uh one day actually I think they did one and then they went back and re-recorded a couple. So technically the whole time was... But yeah, they did the first recording in a day and John Lennon had a cold. Um, Bang, straight. Yeah, awfully convenient. The first two songs were too good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just adds to the law. Yeah, exactly. What would have happened if he didn't have a cold? I wouldn't have, made a, wouldn't have made a great story. Oh, then again, it is the Beatles' first album. Like any any story you tell will be legendary. So I think that might not be quite the a valid have point. Been better. <laughs> and I guess the Stones. We're gonna we're obviously gonna talk about Charlie a lot, but this was also the the one album that Brian Jones was heavily involved in too. Um, I'm turning 27 next month, gross. So I've been delving back into a lot of 27 Club stuff just in lockdown boredom and. Like Brian Jones, even though he was described as his bandmates as couldn't write a song to save himself, Mick and Keith became like the big figureheads of the Stones. He really did kind of start their bad boy persona right from the beginning. Um, I guess there's that element to it as well, where we're going for a bit of a down memory lane slash in memoriam thing with Charlie too. Brian Jones was a multi-instrumentalist, wasn't he? Yeah. So he was kind of all over the band rather than just one thing, which is... I find a lot more impressive despite like, you know, not being able to write a song. (laughs) Yeah. um, And I think him and Keith, they shared rhythm and lead, which at that point in time, like a lot of bands, they just stuck to one guitarist did one and the other did the other, but they just kind of shared it, weaved around each other, which we definitely hear in the sound, um, which I'm sure we'll go into in more depth as we get into songs. Well, I reckon we'll get into the songs immediately. Timekeeper, ring the bell. Well, let's begin. I saw her standing there versus Route 66, the beginning of the golden era of rock and roll, the beginning of the innovation. And, uh, well, the Rolling Stones start with an album where only one of the songs is original. 
And we're starting off with a cover. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's like the big defining thing I noticed. I was like, I don't think I really, I really clicked. But yeah, like not only are they kicking off their debut with a cover, which is really brave, the majority of the songs on this album are covers. Um, Whoa, Route 66 is six. six. Uh, let, me, let me start again. Take two. Route 66. Uh, like I said before, the blues is one of my favorite genres of all time. And just to open up with a song like Route 66 was just for me personally, just, I don't know, it was, it was really welcoming. I, I started bopping my head. It's just really upbeat blues. There's a nice thick bass sound to it. It was, it's almost like a, it almost had a surfy sound to it, I found. But it's just, you know, some really tasty guitar licks, some, some very bluesy vocals, almost narration-like in the, in the vocal delivery. But it was real groovy, very much a driving song. I, I loved it. On the, other, on the other album, The Other Side of Things, The Beatles, I Saw Her Standing There is another upbeat, bluesy, bluesy song, which also pleasantly surprised me because I really liked this song. The, the bass riff is kind of spicy. It's, a bit, it's on fire. It's the, the guitar is really nice. I really like the guitar sound, uh, particularly. The vocal delivery as well. Paul McCartney has got some really nice vocals I've discovered. I, I don't know why it took me this long to, to figure this out, but it's just really nice. I it's particularly like the guitar solo the in the song. It's uh, funny yes, you mentioned the bassline because um, Paul McCartney actually admitted that he pretty much stole bassline straight from Chuck Berry's "Talking About You." Um, really? And hide it or deny it? Um, and yeah, like, I love the bassline. It's one of my favorite things about this song. But yeah, he pretty much said, "Yeah, I, I nicked that." Um, I, I don't even know what that would cause in the way of a debate uh, these days. But yeah, um, it just he pretty much. I mean, and- this is going up against an album where uh, every. Almost every song is a cover, so I don't think that really should be a problem. No, uh, but, yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't have a problem with the cover either. Like on the other side, like it, it shouldn't work. Like an English band singing about like the American road trip, but like they, as much as they really epitomised that bluesy sound, the Stones, I still think they made Route sixty six their own. Um, I think it's incredibly brave to debut with majority covers. You know, your debut is meant to be kind of showing the world who you are. It kind of ran the risk of people, you know, saying, well, I don't really know what you're about. But I still think they made a song that was clearly not theirs. theirs. Um, I think, like, again, like Charlie Watts, I'll probably keep bringing it up just because he's really fresh in my mind this week. Um, but, you know, his, his technique was so unique, the way that he drummed. Um, and it's really on full display in this track in particular because it is such a song that just chugs along, really. Um, yeah, what, what a legendary drummer. Um, he just kind of invented that sort of, like, really... I'm not a drummer, so I can't talk about it technically, but that quick pace, like, changing between the sticks and the, like, brushes, um, just mind-blowing, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's up against the Beatles, which, uh, despite the fact that it's allegedly ripped off from a Chuck Berry song, um, like it was the well, B side to yeah. "Wanna Hold Your Hand." Um, like it was a really, really huge for the Beatles. Um, it was meant to be called "17" originally, which alludes to that kind of opening line. And apparently, the first time Lennon heard the lyrics, he laughed in McCartney's face and said, "You've, you've got to be joking. This is so cheesy." But I think that's what the Beatles are. They managed to capitalize on cheesy and they kind of paved the way for all the future boy bands really um 
why change it if it's working for you? Pretty much. <laughs> I yeah, as as cheesy as the Beatles song is, I saw her standing there. I think that's gonna be my pick. As tough as it's gonna be here. I don't know, it's it's Route sixty six is really fun. It's it's really groovy, but I I cannot get that song out of my head. I saw her standing there. It's super catchy. It's just it's cooking. It's a it's a good song. Oh, um honestly to start the standoff. I think this is possibly one of my harder pairings of this one, to be honest. To start it with one where I'm going, oh, I don't know. Like, I think only the Stones versus the Beatles could do that to you. I'm genuinely feeling it sounds like you're decided, but, um, yeah. That was a tough one, but, yeah. <laughs> it's a tough one. Um, you know, I think I'm angling towards the Beatles because, again, as much as I respect what the Stones did with it, you know, it's not their song, but I don't know. Not to cut you off there, Salmate, let's show a little bit of love to the originator of Route 66, Nat, Nat King Cole, or the King Cole Trio, the original composers of Route 66. Well done, well done. Classics. The classics. Does that mean it's my time to make a call? <laughs> Ooh, if you like. You got, you got a decision? I think I'm going to go with I saw her standing there. Um, tricky, tricky, but I just think as an all-rounded song, that's what's got my it's super tough and both records open with very strong tracks so it yeah there's no way you can distinguish them you can make an easy distinct distinction between these two songs yeah i like both of them uh i don't know maybe maybe i think my heart's set and getting my kicks on route 66 personally Despite I saw it standing there being a stellar opener, both I just said it, both tracks are stellar openings and they both close with very strong numbers. But uh, I'll go Route 66. I think I'll let my first point go to the Stones. And because we're on the topic, this is the first Beatles song, first Rolling Stones song this the world ever heard on record. I just want to ask a little cheesy question to both Salome and Imran here. What was the first Beatles or Rolling Stones song you heard? In your life, because we're all quite young, we're all in our twenties. These songs have been in existence for over forty years, so it'd be interesting to hear what do us youngins? Where were we when we first heard our first Beatles and Rolling Stones song? My parents um, really like both. Um, yeah, wow. Um, I mean, obviously, I was in the era of primary schools where the primary schools picked up both "I Am the Walrus" and "Yellow Submarine" just for, like fun kids songs. It was possibly one of those first, but my mum is also a big Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds fan. I think that was the first song she heard on the radio. And then he asked for the Stones. I mean, it was probably I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Um, Dad had a few Stones records in the house so long ago. Wow, my my memory's going already. Um, (laughs) It was probably those, to be honest. But I've just kind of been around, well, obviously my whole life. I'm very young compared with these bands, but... They've just kind of always been in the house of those names that you've always known. I mean, like Rolling Stones, they went on to have the biggest music magazine ever named after them. It just kind of goes to show. So, yeah. What about you? From memory, from my first memory of knowing that these two bands existed, I think for the Beatles would be, they were both covers, funnily enough, that I heard of their songs. The Beatles uh, Come Together, which was the first time I heard it was covered by Michael Jackson. And when I heard that yeah, I heard that and I'm like, damn, that's a really good Michael Jackson song. And I looked it up and I'm like, wait, that's not a Michael Jackson song. So that was 
that I think was my my first knowledge of the Beatles' existence. The Rolling Stones was uh, Sympathy for the Devil, but when it was covered by Guns N' Roses. So when I heard that, um, like, again, I was like, damn, that's a pretty good Guns N' Roses song. And then I went and looked it up and it was on a, it was on a, it was a cover, obviously, of a Rolling Stones song. And I'm like, oh, wow, this song's a lot better than the Guns N' Roses one. So, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that was the first time. I think I knew about Keith Richards just being an all-round living legend before I knew the Stones' music. Um, but, yeah, um, it's, it's just kind of those two bands that you, you're just almost born knowing about them, really. Like, you, you just can't escape yeah. who they are and what they've done for music. Pretty much, hey. And that is their first impression. Track two, Misery versus I Just Want to Make Love to You. This the harmonica. Oh, the harmonica. I love the harmonica. And you said Brian Jones, multi-instrumentalist. Thank you, Brian Jones, for making the harmonica as cool as you did. What a man. His presence on this album is just chef's kiss. It's, It's amazing. Out of these two songs, it's I feel like it's a lot easier of a pick than the than the first two tracks. Misery is a good song by the Beatles. It's you know, it's jaunty, it's it's a bit more upbeat than I was expecting for a song called Misery. Plucky. Uh, classic Beatles. Yeah. Like they kind of suck you Pretty in with that a, upbeat, boppy, yeah. happy sound, but then it's got that really sort of dark underlayer. Um I think that was one yeah, of my other yeah. early impression, uh, impressions of the Beatles was I remember my dad said to me while we were listening to Help, he said, I wish you'd written this song because you'd be really rich, but <laughs> I'm kind of glad you didn't because if that's how you were feeling, I'd be really worried, um, which is yeah. Beatles, really. It's just so like deceptively cheerful. Mm. This made me realise, uh, this song, um, it made me realize the distinction between a McCartney written song and a Lennon written song, which is, you know, you've got a happy ballady kind of song with McCartney or a, a happy sounding ballad that's really dark with Lennon. Um, but yeah, the Misery is, you know, it's a, it's a classic Beatles song. Um, I, know a fun fact I just want to. Oh, yeah. Um, it was the first Beatles song to be covered by another artist. Um, it was covered oh. in 1963 by Kenny Lynch, which was, I until we went off on this little research project, I did not know that. It's not the first Beatles song that, that would spring to mind that someone else would do a cover of, um, not even off just this album. Um, but, yeah, fun fact. That was very interesting. I would not have picked that either. The, yeah. the, the, piano, runs, the, the piano runs are borderline comical, which, again, in a song called Misery, is just like... Yeah, it's very... <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, little piano like the descending piano thing really stood out to me in that song. And yeah, even the, even the vocal melody is like very bouncy. It's just, yeah, very interesting song, especially for one that's called Misery. Um, on, the, on the complete juxtaposition uh, here of the Rolling Stones, I just want to make love to you. This is by far probably the, the best drumming I've heard of uh, Charlie Watts on the album. The, he makes it sound like it's... He's clapping rather than drumming. Like how you get such a just distinct sound that sounds like something it's not. Um, just wow, you shouldn't be able to do that like on an instrument. It's so cool. Um, yeah, it's just super cool. upbeat. It's so fast, but it's so tight. Like he's just got it down 
to to just muscle memory. It's it's got that very southern Mississippi style. Like if if you had shown me this song and told me uh, didn't didn't tell me it was by the Rolling Stones, I would have thought it was by like a an old nineteen forties bluesman from Mississippi. Southern blues. It's got that. It's it's got that feel to it. I love the my favorite part is the bridge where the drums just completely open up and everything is just just feels massive. My too. I'm a sucker for a bridge in any song, but this one in particular. Yeah. Um, and like you said, I, there's no wonder that there was a UK version and a US version of this album because the sound is just so damn marketable in the US. Um, it it just sounds like everything it came from those old southern bluesy jazzy bands. Um, I think in particular this song, um, and I think we've, we've spoken about the drums and how cool the harmonica is, um, but one thing we haven't mentioned is uh, Keith's guitar work. Um, it blends so well with that harmonica. I think, you know, you as a far better guitarist than I would be able to sort of appreciate that. Um, just the way yeah. it works through it, it's almost like you would expect him to be a one-man band with the harmonica, like, strapped onto the guitar like you see in the street because it just works, again, just yeah. so well. Definitely. The, yeah, the guitar on that track was particularly like very nice. E- everything about it was almost feels chaotic, but it's like organized chaos. Very, what's the word? Um, cacophony. Is that, is that the word? Concoction? Where it's just, no. Uh, we can Don't eat this well. Yeah. <laughs> Never uh, mind. But yeah. I guess the kind of got um, a bop versus a gruber uh, is the key element of this track two battle yes where are, I the think are we sitting 100 percent, it's going to the rolling stones i think i'm with you on that i have to go with the grouper um like this was it just makes you want to just dive in and listen to more of this album it's it's so so perfect and coming off the back of that cover of route 66 just like you cannot turn this off oh yeah this this song i think is what hooked was what sucked me into the album like, once I heard this one, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm keen to hear the rest. And you've sucked me in with that argument, Imran. I'll, I'll join in. Why the heck not? I just want to make love to you. By the way, Imran, you mentioned in the intro how you are a sucker for old-school classic rock. Love to you. It, the original version, also again, also a cover, the original version, while written by Willie Dixon, was recorded by Muddy Waters, and I think that was a band you mentioned that you're a sucker for. Yes, um, yeah, Willie Dixon was a was a big guy back in the days. He used to write a lot of songs for Muddy Waters and like a lot of uh, he, he was like a writer that didn't he wrote songs for other people and um, yeah he was big with Muddy Waters. Um, yeah, I I love those guys. They've got some great songs. You're a fan of the original of I Just Want to Make Love to You. Not gonna lie, I haven't heard this particular version of Muddy Waters. So I feel like a fake fan now. Oh but no, we've called you that. You'll have to go and listen fake to fans, Imran, after this. this really, yeah. I can assure you. Look, this has just given me motivation to go and listen to more Muddy Waters now. So, yeah. The entire Beatles and Rolling Stones albums are probably a good reason to explore more of those artists, to be perfectly honest. I'm with uh, definitely, on yeah. Okay. I mean, that was how I got into it in the first place, was uh, from Led Zeppelin, actually because they used to cover a lot of stuff like this as well. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Anna, go to him, versus Honest I Do. I think for me, this is a bit more uh, easy one for the Beatles for me. I think my first point's probably going to go to Anna, unless Salome can convince me otherwise. 
this is one I'm on the fence on, so I don't know how much convincing I'll be doing. I'm the one who uh, needs a bit of convincing, to be honest. Um, hmm. I think this is the first song where we really hear, you know, the difference in how these bands were marketed. You have Beatles is the boys next door versus the Stones are the bad boys. Um, Honest I Do has that sexy, almost like lazy sound, but you know, you can you can almost see like the, the look on Mick's face as he kind of draws like in his really smarmy way with the lyrics on this. Um, but Anna as well has that kind of slow burn scale work. Um, and it also, it's also very effortless in the way that it's presented. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm really kind of on the fence with this one. Honest I Do is a more of a jazzy song, wouldn't you say, Imra? Um, yeah, this, it's, uh, yeah, it's more of a slow jazzy blues kind of song. Honest I Do is, uh, I, I imagine this song being played in like a, a smoke-filled whiskey bar in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in the 50s. It's one, like one of those songs. Um, I'm pretty sure the bass and the guitar are out of tune in, in that song as well. But really? I, yeah, just from, just from listening to it, which is really is funny. Like a, but, is it like a drop tuning or they're just not quite... No, right? they're just both not in tune with each other. Oh. Uh, yeah, which I, I feel like... As much as it might p- piss some people off, I, I feel like adds to that um, smoke-filled uh, bar kind of sound, which I one of my favourite kind of sounds is the really slow, bluesy, uh, almost like swampy kind of, uh, um, like you said as well, really lazy. I feel like um, Anna, in the opposite uh, sense, is a bit more put together, um, structured, than uh, Honest I Do, even though it's kind of more of a slow burner. Like the guitar riff is really nice. It's kind of kind of gives me a Frank Sinatra vibes. Interesting. The vocals so it was are... described as soul rhythm slash swing. Um, but yeah. you definitely see those elements there as well. Yeah, definitely. The, the vocals are a bit, I find, more, a bit more soulful or bluesy kind of thing. Um, one thing that got to me, I don't know why, this is really, uh, really nitpicky. Um, the title says "Go to Him," but he sings "Go with Him." Oh. I don't know why. That got to me. That's just—I don't know. It's a good song, but I don't know why that got to me. I was listening to it, thinking, you know, ah, oh, it's called Anna. Go to Him, and he was just singing "Go with Him." Was it, I was a bit nitpicky too. I was like, you know, the lyrics are just so possessive, um, which I know was very, very yeah. writing in that day and age. But I was just like, yeah. Um, that might push me to the other side. But again, that's me being very, very nitpicky of what is, in essence, a great song. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. I forgot how almost creepy some of these songs could be when you really stop and dissect. Yeah. Um, and when you say, yeah, actually oh, look at the lyrics. Their, their share of creepy songs either, um, let's be real. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we're being very, very nitpicky and it's only track three. That's funny. When I was listening to the song and I was thinking from a songwriter storyteller's point of view that lyrically to me Anna kind of was sounded like okay well there's a sense of finality to this there is no pain in within me anymore nor to my lover you just go with this guy you just go with the new with your new lover I have no pain anymore you do what you want to do and I'll be fine giving a sense of finality it does kind of have that vibe a little bit but 
a lot of the, like a lot of these songs when you really dissect them has some like a, a lot of that kind of stuff as well that Salome mentioned of oddly possessive uh my mind is just shut off for a minute <laughs> mine got blown by the beatles final call for points ah uh, look like i said before i'm an absolute sucker for slow slow bluesy whiskey bar blues i'm gonna have to pick the rolling stones for this one salome you know, i went into this thinking i was going to pick anna but Imran might have sold me on like the whiskey bar. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think I'm going that way, which is surprising to myself. Um, but yeah, it's, Imran sold me. I want to go to this bar and listen to this song. And Chains versus Mona, track four. Jason, you didn't pick your song. Yes, I did. I went Anna. Oh, my bad. Right out of the gate, I'm gonna go Anna. Sense of finality. All right, but yes, track four. Just like the song. Just like the song. Chains versus Mona, track four, as mentioned. Uh, Chains, that, funnily enough, it was written by Jerry Goffin and Carol King. I was like, wow, Carol King wrote this, but it was performed by the Cookies. I'm not quite sure who the Cookies are. Sorry, pardon my ignorance. Please educate me. Facebook.com forward slash metal standoff pod. Uh, Chains is a good track, and Mona's also a really good one. That's a good performance by Charlie Watts, if I've ever heard one in run. Yes, definitely. The I, I love the drumming on this song. Very um very tribal. Um very I, my favorite part, yeah. There's there's a lot of uh it's I find it's more percussive rather than uh just like straight drumming. Yep. But it's I I love Mona for, for the fact that it's almost all percussive. Even even the guitar. The guitar kinda takes a a percussive lead, uh in a sense of um, like with that tremolo effect on it kind of keeps the tempo going the whole time and yeah, just leads everything on its uh, oddly, oddly spiritual journey, I guess as, as spiritual as it gets for three minutes of uh, Mick Jagger singing Mona. Um, yeah. It's, I, re- I really like Mona. Um, it's, I like the, the call and response between the guitar and the vocals and the chorus. I like the little, uh, in the solo, the little slide down on the guitar with the shaker that like speeds up. It's, it's just a really like nice, more, it's the, it's a more chillaxed kind of bluesy kind of song. Whereas Salome Chains on the other hand, that's very barbershop quartet. I love that description. Um, it's also uh, George's debut as a lead singer on a commercially released Beatles song. So, and I think that's like, it's just such proof of the versatility and the strength of the Beatles. Like, does anybody sort of match pitch and sing melodically together better than John, Paul and George? Um, no, I don't think they do. And I'll take no further questions on that one. Uh, Sorry about that, Ringo. <laughs> I mean, Ringo does get his moments too, but those three in particular do work together really, really beautifully. Um, uh, but, but basically a music critic didn't write this one. Um, again, this is another cover, a trend we're noticing. Um, but he just, uh, Ian McDonald, this music critic, he described it as slightly out of tune and lacking spontaneity. Um, to which I say, who is Ian McDonald anyway? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, That's a fair point. But yeah, it's really beautiful. And 
again, like Jason, I'm a little bit um, ignorant on the cookies, but apparently they were a band that a lot of other Liverpool bands were covering back in the day. So, I mean, if someone like the Beatles is picking to cover you, you must be pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, I'm woefully ignorant on any of their work besides this song. Speaking of covers, Mona's a cover of Bo Diddley. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of my favourite songs on the Stones' debut album. And again, it's not even their song, but they just make it theirs. Um, I think it's the first time we really hear Mick sort of let loose on his vocals. It's got that bit more of a grunt to it. The guitars are more distorted and dirty. I just think it really, really suits the persona that they were trying to build um, at this point. And yeah, you've already summed up Charlie's drumming, Imran. It, it just, it, like you said, it, he's more of a percussionist than a drummer per se. He's just so versatile and so cool. The way he just changes from the soft sort of brushes that you would expect from, you know, an acoustic band at the bar to just like thumping away on what you'd expect from a timpani player in an orchestra. It's just outstanding. Yeah. The, the drums on Mona, like a just super heavy. I, I love it. Uh, I think that's going to be my pick. I'm with of, you too. Those drums yeah, ring hollow. Yeah. Very hollow sounding. Yeah. Yeah, like I love Chains, but I think the point goes to Mona for me. It is like I said, one of my favourite songs on this debut. It's so strong. So. I am. Mona. Yeah, very fun song. But yeah, again, like Salome is saying, definitely not a point against Chains because that is definitely a must-seek-out, strong, strong Beatles cover. And uh, is it up there in terms of like top three favourites? Maybe not, but it probably is just shy. We'll do a quick score update. For all three of us, 3-1 Rolling Stones. Wow. Nice. I wouldn't have expected that if you told me. Neither would I, personally. That's, that's I, I thought going into this, I'm more of a Beatles fan, but um, I think I'm starting to appreciate this debut for what it was um, with, the, with the Stones as well. Um, first, I just thought, oh, it's an album full of covers, but it's an album full of very, very good covers. Good job, Imran. You're making us discover more things that we didn't even know existed. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> no worries. Okay, moving on. For me, Imran and Salome, uh, the Beatles are getting a point back here. Boys versus Now I've Got a Witness... Boys is such a fun one. It's Barbershop Quartet, but and it's Ringo singing. First song we're hearing Ringo singing, but it's such a fun one. It 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 just is. Like the contrast I from did not know that was Ringo singing. Yeah, because like, when you think of Ringo singing, you think Yellow Submarine and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's that is news to me. That that uh, that now puts my my decision here at a bit of a standstill because I like Ringo. I think it's, um again, uh, similarly with George Harrison singing on Chains, it really does just show the versatility that literally any band member can take the lead on any given track and it's still so, so engaging. Um, I think that it's just really showing the strength. And even, like, on their first album, it's not like they were three albums in and going, okay, let's let Ringo have a sing, like, for a bit of fun. <laughs> Um, it was just literally they could do that from the get-go and not many bands then and now could do that. It's really, really fun. I love that. I might be looking into it, but it could easily just be a statement that we are we are a four-piece band of equals because around about this period of time, it could have just as well very easily 
being John Lennon and the Beatles, or Paul McCartney and the Beatles, as was the status quo with bands back in this period of time. Like, hell, for the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. We could have easily had that, but no. Don't forget the uh, forgotten fifth member of the Beatles. (laughs) Oh, George Martin, what a legend. Well, the one that, yeah, you ended up producing, um, but a totally different (laughs) argument there. Um, Wow. And not only that, we're working at that from album one, the Beatles were experimenting. Granted, Please Please Me, their first album, isn't their best album. Let's put it this way, you know, it's easily things like a Help or a Sgt. Pepper or a Rubber Soul, White Album, Let It Be, Abbey Road. But you can see that while they might not be nailing all of their experimentation, they are at least trying it. Yeah. Definitely. And I guess speaking of experimental, on the other side of this coin, we've got Now I Got a Witness, which is a follow-up track to track 10, Can I Get a Witness? Um, and it, the keyboard at the start almost sounds like a door song more than a stone song. It was, I was, was really what we've heard. I so literally far. wrote down here in my notes, that's a door sounding keyboard. Huge compliments. I recommend our absolute king of the keyboard. So, you know, props, <laughs> especially given that that's not the Stones' usual sound and they just nailed that. Definitely. I, I appreciate the fact that um, they, have a, they have an instrumental on their album because a lot of uh, old, blues, uh, old blues singers and artists used to just do instrumental jams where they'd get a, they'd get a riff and then everyone would have a turn just... Uh, soloing or riffing over the top of it it's very um, and this what is this album is i think yeah definitely yeah it's it's just very uh it's it's like an homage to those old style blues stuff that they of course were were covering on this album can you see um, like yeah. still being very much involved in this little jam sesh even though there are no vocals because i don't know about you but i can just see him banging away on his tambourine and joining in with his dance moves that he's so well known for. But yeah. I don't know if reading into it too much. <laughs> I mean, I, you can hear some um, wailing in the background or screaming um, just every once in a while. Someone just like getting so into the song that just like, ah, yeah, and then just no, into just another riff or something. Mick just stubbed his toe. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> Dancing a bit too hard. So those moves are a bit, you know, you can't, you can't match them. Sometimes he gets a bit loose. Yeah. Sometimes it's... people write cringy songs about those dance moves, you know, 30, 40 <laughs> years, which we will not talk about. Uh, please don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I've got a witness. I, now I've got a witness, I think, is going to be my pick here because uh, Her Boys is a great song. It's, uh, it's, up, it's like an upbeat, happy blues song, which is, I, I think um, at this point, you can kind of, when I was listening to this album and after, after listening to the Rolling Stones album, there is a very clear distinction on the, t- the style of blues that the Beatles do and the style of blues that the Rolling Stones do. And the Beatles are more upbeat. You know, everyone knows the sound of the Beatles. It's, it's you know, easy listening uh, kind of stuff. Gospel, like Gospel sort of yeah. church melodies versus that real gritty... The, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like boys, it's got the bop shops in the background. Um, you know the the vocals are really nice. The the lyrics are real interesting. Um, but you know it's it's a nice simple. It's it's an upbeat song. You you'd put it on in a supermarket probably, 
Whereas, you know, now I've got to witness is just a grooving. Everyone sounds like they're having a good time. Um, so yeah. I can't pull you over to the Beatles side on this one as much as you're a I, fan of Ringo. I love Ringo. I, I love him to death, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to be the Rolling Stones this time. Ooh, well, I'm on team Beatles. I'm going to go for the uh, upbeat supermarket, as you called it. Um, but it, it, I, don't, I think it's easy to see why this song gets Ray Charles comparisons. Um, and it's fun, it's upbeat, a little bit cheesy, but again, a little bit cheesy is what the Beatles do. They made it work and made it their own. So I'm on team boys. They made it work and they're very experienced with it because even before the Beatles, Ringo was performing this song and these were the popular songs within the Liverpool area at the time. Yeah, very well summarised. All right. Yeah, no, no, boys for me. Bop, doa, bop, bop, doa. Great. How fun is that? I think it's a bit harsh to say that it's supermarket because it was... Yeah, go to a go to a club and have sing along to that. You're in for a good time. Come on. If that was on the supermarket, I'd be thrilled. I would be absolutely bopping down the aisles. Um, I would too. I'm not saying it's a bad song. It is a bopper of a song. It's yeah. I'm. I don't know. It's it's a Beatles song. What more can I say? But you can you can see why um, Ringo Starr went on to narrate Thomas the Tank Engine. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Just... Track six. Ask me why versus little by little. Uh, Salome, we'll start with you. Okay. Jangly guitar on little by little, particularly at the start. It's borderline country song. Um, again, I think it's got that real southern, bluesy, almost motel sort of sound. Um, but at the same time, it still screams like, old school rock. Um, I could be completely wrong here, but I think this would be a real Imran song. Um, I think when Bob Sager said he wanted old time rock and roll, this is the song that he wanted to hear. It kind of ends abruptly as it started. I just think it's a really cool little fun song. And again, harmonica usage, flawless. I didn't realise how much I love the harmonica I re-listened to this album. You would be... uh... Absolutely correct in saying that this is a song, this is one of my songs, because yes, this is a song that I definitely would go out of my way to listen to many more times afterwards. It's definitely got that Southern style uh, country, uh, country blues sound. Very, um, I found, I almost thought it was a Howling Wolf cover until I realized that this is one of the songs that they actually wrote for the album, um, which was a pleasant surprise. But yeah. Um, like that old country styles uh, blues, which is very um, like, like I said, Howling Wolf, um, that kind of style of blues is very, uh, yeah, very country, very Southern, like Mississippi Delta almost. And yeah, that uh, the middle section almost feels like a jam, like where everyone just kind of lets loose and does a random solo. And it just sounds like everyone's having a good time. It shouldn't uh, work, but it does. Um, yeah. It's, a, it's a very... It's kind of the same as well. That, that shouldn't work, but it does. It's really structurally complex. Um, again, my jazz knowledge isn't huge, but it uses like jazz parallel sevenths um, and three different variants of verse. Like, what the heck is that? It, it shouldn't work, but it does. Jeez, I, jazz always flew over my head. 
uh, in terms of music theory. So I've got absolutely no idea. But, Basically, with yeah. parallel seven, all I know is like I was always taught in music, stay away from the major seven. Like those don't mesh well together. Um, but again, they've just made it work. I, the Beatles could just pick up anything and make it beautiful. Um, and I, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> but there you go. Well, they're the Beatles, I guess. Um, Ask Me Why is a very interesting song. It's right off the bat, they go into the I love you, woo, woo, woo. That's when you weigh the hell off. <laughs> um, I, I do appreciate how how good the Beatles are at using uh, like vocal harmonies as another instrument almost. I literally wrote in my notes, their vocal harmonies are their biggest strength even at album one. Like, yeah, it's one of those songs where you really immediately appreciate their vocal harmonies this is yeah this is definitely a song where you can see how good the beatles are at just using the voice as an instrument um they could have been an acapella group honestly um they really could be they didn't oh, need we'll to save that till the end salome oh yes you're damn right <laughs> but we'll save that for the end <laughs> no more spoilers <laughs> um yeah um i gotta say I wasn't a fan of Ask Me Why. I didn't really like that song. As, as good as the vocal harmonies were, it's, it's got so much cheese. It's a song that someone of that age would write for an audience of one. Yeah, look, I yeah, think pretty much. that, um, you know, the record label was definitely capitalising on how much uh, young girls were going absolutely nuts for the four boys with the uh, cute little bowl haircuts. Um, yeah, there was a very obvious market there. Again, um, beautiful harmony-wise, but I've, I've literally written it's the cheese of the cheesiness. <laughs> it's not a strong one. It's not a strong one on this first one. Even then, little by little, I feel like little by little wouldn't be beating a few of the other Please Please Me tracks, but it does go against Ask Me Why, which probably does, by default, give it the point. Yeah, it's little by little isn't really a standout track on the album but yeah going up against ask me why it's easily got the point for me i kind of wish ask me why didn't have such the you know such cheesy lyrics because like again it like the musical composition is so complex and structured but yeah um i think little by little is just going to pip it over for me i will take the um rolling stones doing country ahead of beatles doing cheese (laughs) Soppy cheese at that. Yeah, this is like a big sloppy Joe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do a quick score update because why not? For myself, Rolling Stones lead two, uh, 4 2. Same with Salome, 4 2 Rolling Stones. Imran, 5 1 Rolling Stones. The, it, what a strong start by the Stones. And I, I don't think that's a reflection of my tastes between those two bands but i'm confident the beatles can come back unless imran does convince me on some tracks let's Let's start let's start with this one please please me the title track for the beatles debut versus i'm a king b i'm a king b being uh the cover a cover by slim harpo yes um please please me was actually meant to be called off the beatle track like the album not the song um, yes, it was. Which is a hilarious pun. I love a bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Imran, correct me if I'm wrong, is there more, is the bass louder than guitar in the mix for Please Please Me? I genuinely did not notice. I, I actually thought the guitarists were pretty good in Please Please Me. Right. That's what stood out to me. Um, I like how they're a bit distorted as well, um, which I feel like was a first on the album, or at least a bit more distorted than the rest of it up till this point. Um, Please Please Me did sound like it uh, flowed exactly from the last song there. Like it could have just been a continuation of, uh, of Ask Me Why. Really? I reckon it could have. It, I, I wasn't looking at uh, as the album was playing. And I just thought it continued. I think the harmony is very similar, like classic Lennon and McCartney bouncing off each other. But I think the rest of the song was much, much stronger, which, I mean, obviously it's the title track. I think it was far stronger than Ask Me Why. Um, but I think it was, it was a very successful song as far as this album went, but it, it might not have been to be. Um, apparently the original version, um, George Martin described as dreary. Um, John Lennon oh. had written this song um, as a slow, more slow song and Martin went knowing, increased the tempo and the band altered it and apparently they said they were really embarrassed that he found a better way to do that song than they did, um, <laughs> which would be a bit embarrassing, I guess. But yeah, I think it was um, far stronger than the previous track um, and definitely had a, a right to stand on its own. I, I would definitely say that it's stronger than Ask Me Why as well. In terms of the Rolling Stones, I'm a King B. I noted 10 seconds into the song, this was already my favourite song on the album. Ooh. It's it's just everything that I love about the blues. The the guitar riff is just oofed. The vocals are very uh, Jim Morrison style, almost like that old, it's very old style, uh, Muddy Waters or like John Lee Hooker type uh, vocals. They're really husky, but, um, smoky sort yeah, of. Yeah, very... Um, very bluesy. The, the lyrics are really I love. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a king bee buzzing around your hive. I was just like, oh my gosh, a little bit yeah. cringe. <laughs> a tiny bit, but just the song itself is just what I love about the blues. That kind of slower, funkier, uh, like really almost sloppy type blues. I, I particularly love the guitar solo, which sounds like a bee. I was about to um, say, did you think that they deliberately made it sound like a buzz? Like, so it was on they, point with that? I reckon I think so. They, I think they did. Yeah. Very I, I reckon so definitely. Okay. Yeah. What, what do they call that? the word, that it starts with an O, like an om, oh, something, like when something sounds like it, like the word cuckoo, the bird, it, the sound that the bird makes. Oh, uh, onomatopoeia? Yeah, that's the one. Thank you. My no worries. Brain is not just not in the front drawer at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> not a word that you use very often. I'll be writing that word down in my thesaurus after recording. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it's going to be the Rolling Stones for me on this one. Um, <sighs> nah, I am very much Team Beatles on this one. Um, as much as the B was giving me some funny laughs about some pretty uh, filthy connotations about making honey, please, please me, title track, can't go wrong. Cannot go wrong with that one. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a King B with an asterisk. I put an asterisk on that. I think that might change. May change in the future. I think that's going to change in the future, the but I'll take, I'll go on record as to say I'm a King B over Please Please Me uh, as of 
time of recording. That could change. This next one, though, is bugging me a lot. Love Me Do versus Carol. Right? Love Me Do versus Carol. And let's put it this way. I was doing my notes, and because I wasn't aware at the time, first time I've ever gone through the Rolling Stones self-titled from front to back, I go to Carol and I'm writing in my notes, wow, this is pretty Chuck Berry. It's quite, it's, you know, Johnny Be Good sounding. Uh, wait, hang on, let's check me notes here. Oh, it is a Chuck Berry cover. Whoops-a-daisy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this yeah. argument shouldn't be as close as it is. It, it's Love Me Do, but Carol, uh, I think it takes the best intro for, for any of the songs on either album. That intro is just, yay. Yaks on bikes. Just it's it's a Chuck Berry intro. I I literally went through the same thing as you did, Jason. Um, of like my first note here is it's a Chuck Berry song, and then I looked it up and it's actually a Chuck Berry song. So yeah, right. I, <laughs> yeah, we're being exposed as fake fans, Imran. <laughs> oh man. Something. Uh, no matter how much you put your own spin on it, it will always go back to who it was. That, that's. So obviously a Chuck Berry song. Yeah. yeah. No, I feel like um, the Rolling Stones just covered that as it was. I I personally haven't listened to the original song by Chuck Berry, um, but I would imagine that it sounds exactly like the Rolling Stones did because like off of the first listen, you can immediately tell it's a Chuck Berry song. You know, it's, it's really fun. It's upbeat. It's got that fast-paced Chuck Berry feel. Props to Chuck um, Berry. That sound stuck around for so long. Um, yeah. Part of the guitar and it reminded me of like Cold Chisels Goodbye, Astro Goodbye. And that came out in the 80s. And that sound was still there in a lot of really popular music. Like you just immortalise that rolling guitar work. Yeah, definitely. The the, really, the fast paced chugging is, yeah, innovator. It's someone spinning around on their double bass um, living end style. Um, it's just such a cool... <laughs> Question for you, Imran. Do you think on Carol, this style of music suits Mick Jagger's vocals more? Oh, um, I do like his vocals on this song. Although, I mean, his, his more like, I feel like his stuff on, say, I'm a King B is almost more, uh, I feel like he's got that swagger, no pun intended. The of, raunchiness. Uh, the raunchiness of pulling off stuff like I'm a King B. Jagger's swagger. <laughs> as well as being able to pull off stuff like Carol, um, like the more fun, up, upbeat, rock, rock kind of songs. Um, in terms of if it's better, uh, I don't know. Might be just my personal preference then, just on, at least on this album. But uh, it goes up against Love Me Do. And we've been talking about the Rolling Stones doing some country. This is probably the Beatles attempted a bit of country twang. Love me do, love, yeah. love, love me do. And how I, do you put something up against it? Like this song is pretty much the reason that this album was done in such a rush because it was just so commercially successful so fast. Um, I think it's why perhaps, you know, we were reflecting back at uh, track six with Ask Me Why, like perhaps some of the songs didn't quite hold up to this one just because the first song was so good. It was like, okay, you got to bang out a whole album's worth of that in a day. Um so it's just sort of that that pinnacle point of this first album. Yeah, definitely. I love me do was um, I when I listened to this uh, in order when this song came on, I I automatically knew this was going to be my favorite 
Why do you bury like your lead single down at track eight? It seems like a really, really uh, weird choice. I guess albums are made really differently. Um, Maybe. Um, but yeah, it, I think um, because obviously you're working with B-sides as well. Um, so, but yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it, it seems like a very long time to be waiting for Love Me Do to come on. Yeah, that's a good question. I, cause this is a fantastic song. I, the harmonica in it is catchy as hell. And the, the vocal delivery, like the, the dual harmony thing that McCartney and Lennon have got going. Um, it's just, it's signature Beatles while still kind of having that blues feel to it. Mm, you um, can see why it's such a classic. Um, yeah. Um, my pick is going to be the Beatles as well. Love Me Do is, I, it's fantastic. I love it. This was a really tricky one for me. I, I, this is one of the ones coming into this battle that I don't have a circle around either. Um, and again, it feels so ridiculous to even be considering putting something up against the classic that is Love Me Do, but the Stones version of Carol is really, really good. Um, and I'm with you, Jason. I think it does really suit Mick Jagger's voice. But I think upon reflection, the one that sticks with me the longest when I think of these two artists is Love Me Do. So I think just purely on a, that's the song I think of when I think of the Beatles' first album. I'm going to go with that with an asterisk. <laughs> All right, I'll back you two in. I'll take it. I'll take Love Me Do as well. It, yeah, for all the reasons you just mentioned, to be perfectly honest, because I don't really have too much more to add to that. It is a, it's a fantastic single. Love, love me do. And I, I still maintain there is a bit of country twang in that. All right. But no, don't take anything away from Carol. Strong song. Suits Jagger well. Great guitar work. P.S. I Love You versus pretty much the only original track on the Rolling Stones record. Tell me you can't. Hey, nine tracks in, and we've got a Jagger Richards original. I feel like you can around. And honestly, that gets the point. Tell me, I I'm not a fan of a PS I Love You. Yeah, yeah, um, it it's classic storytelling. PS I Love You, like the lyrics are penned as if it's a letter. Um, yeah, look. Um, tell me you're coming back. One, it's the first like I said original song we get, but. Like, the intro is so dramatic, and then it stops, and then it starts again. It's just the epitome of, like, a peaks and troughs song. And I kind of wish we'd heard more original Jagger Richard songs based off this one. Um, like, the acoustic work is really standalone for what we've heard so far on this album. Um, yeah, I, I, like it makes me wish that we'd had more from them. I loved Keith Richards on the 12-string guitar. Yeah, that, that final peak at 349, chills. I mean, P.S. I Love You is all right. I, I didn't mind it. I like the little bridge, the, the little you, you, you. Like that, that's really nice. Yeah, it's again, kinda, showcasing it, their backup vocals are their biggest strength. Yeah, mm. pretty much. Kind of country style as well. Cheesy song. Um, yeah, it's, it's a nice cheesy song. That's, that's <laughs> the epitome of the Beatles. But um, yeah, Tell Me You're Coming Back. I, I love the dreamy vocals at the start with like a heck ton of reverb. I listened to this song like about a minute in. I could imagine uh, Guns N' Roses doing this, like writing this song and releasing it. It's, it's got that kind of, it makes me realize how much the Rolling Stones influenced that bad boy vibe as well, I guess. But yeah, it's just, it's a good, it's such a good song. It's Jagger has there's a, such, sorry, go. Oh, no. So there's such like trailblazers um, in the way that this song sort of goes. Um, 
but Keith played guitar and sang the harmonies into the same microphone, which gave it that like live effect as well, despite being mm. a recorded album. It's just, it's just so cool. Um, yeah. yeah. I feel you can tell they're all like in the moment, just playing the song as they are. It's yeah. It's a nice also kind of slowdown for the album as well. I reckon. Um, Mick Jagger also has a very funny way of uh, singing without actually singing in the song. It, it's, it's almost a narrator, I find. But I, I mean, that's just part of Mick Jagger's charm, I think, on this song, is they're kind of very loose, uh, yeah, loose and fun. And they're as, as slow ballady of a song as it is, you can tell they're all like in the moment, just having a good time with it. You can see why his persona is basically a part of his talent musically. Um, like Mick Jagger is yeah. the vocalist. He is a front man. Um, he's yeah, really definitely. That off. Yeah, that one's getting the point for me easily. It's getting mine. So, is it getting yours? Yeah, it's getting mine. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're unanimous again here. Uh, tell me you're coming back. It beats P.S. I love you. Personally, my view, P.S. I love you. That and ask me why you, that's your bottom two right there on the Beatles debut. Agreed. Yeah. But again, a, the bottom of a Beatles album is still a lot better than, you know, many, many other albums in the world. Let's just be very clear on that. <laughs> Agreed. Okay, we're heading into the final stretch, so we'll do a quick score check. For myself, Rolling Stones lead 6-3, to three, Imran 7-2, to two, Salome, the gap is closing. Rolling Stones lead five to four. Ooh. That's not where I thought it would be. That's pretty much how the rivalry has ever lasted for the last 50 years. Only, only just fighting for the inch. Fighting for that inch. Okay. This one, this one, I'm not sure about you, Imran. This one's a no contest for me. Baby, it's you versus can I get a witness? But before I say mine, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Um, this one's pretty much a no cat contest for me as well, based off of what I've written here. Um, All right, just read your notes verbatim. F- for baby, it's you. All I've got for the notes are sha la 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 la, and this is a song you play at a wedding. Wow. Okay, I've got a completely different interpretation. Oh, okay. This for, I have uh, to hear. Can, I, can I get a witness? Well, I was fully expecting this song to be another instrumental, based off of the previous song. Now I have a witness, but no, it wasn't. I mean, there's a nice, nice piano riff at the start. It's another classic blues style song in classic Mick Jagger style. It's uh, very freeform narration style vocals. I like the harmonies in the background of this song. Um, Ooh, I called Mick them Jagger odd. almost. They're, they're very well. I think it's the first time there's ever actually been harmonies on this album, which is very interesting. Mick Jagger kind of doesn't sound like Mick Jagger on this album on this song. Sorry. Yeah, this is just another fun blue song. And um not going to lie, I don't remember how Baby It's You goes. So I'm going to pick Can I Get a Witness. My favourite part of Baby It's You is um, in, the guitar, in the guitar solo, I wrote down in my notes, this sounds like a glockenspiel. You know, those little sort of xylophone things you play as a kid. Um, yeah. But Dr. Google confirmed that that instrument is actually called a celeste which is like a bell piano that kind of resembles a piano, kind of resembles a music box. Um, and before the Beatles, it was most famously used in the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy from the Nutcracker. 
Um, so there you go. Um, and that was actually played by George Martin. That was uh, another of his contributions on this album. Um, but apart from that little glock and spill, I kind of had similar thoughts. It was just another sort of variation of how many times can the Beatles say, baby, I love you or something about loving you and you and me on this album. Um, <laughs> that's my sort of thoughts. The glock and spill is its saving grace. Um, Imran, I'm sorry, Jason, I know you said a different interpretation of this one. I thought this would be kind of like fly-on-the-wall, bird's-eye view of just a raw, unfiltered, unbridled Beatles jam by the campfire. The <laughs> gathered around the fire, because Lennon gets a little bit gusto about it. He kind of lets a bit of rage out, you know, don't want over, that kind of thing. And it's got that melancholy loss existential feel to it and for that reason i just thought no contest this has become almost one of my favorites off the self off the uh please please me debut what did you think of the uh celesta that new instrument i found out existed today i'll need i'll need more listens before i formulate an opinion (laughs) i think it's very cool but lisa imran um i love the piano on can i get a witness um it was really, really big mm. in the intro and then sort of carried all the way through. Um, I can just kind of visualise the dance moves going on in like a mosh pit. Um, what is that? Oh, yeah. like, um, to like what would be going on to a bunch of people seeing the Stones perhaps for the first time doing this song, which another cover, um, as far as I am aware, it's a cover of, a cover of Marvin Gaye. Um, so I think that's where that element of effortless cool comes from in this song. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the piano roof is definitely a standout. That would have been Brian Jones as well, wouldn't it? I believe so. Um, don't quote me on that. You're going to have uh, to fact check that, that one for us. The ultimate, um, like you said, multi-instrumentalist that Brian Jones was, um, I think it, it's, it's moments like that that you sort of, it, it's really, really sad. Um, obviously, his early passing um, and his early departure from the band because um, he was so such an enormous part of that early part of their sound. Definitely. I wish I could remember how Baby It's You goes, but I, it just gets lost in, with all the other ballad pop songs on, on Please Please Me that, yeah, just for, for continuity's sake, it's going to be Can I Get a Witness for Me. No worries. Well, my point goes to Baby It's You, so Salome, which way are you going to lie? Uh, I think I'm going with Can I Get a Witness, actually. Um... Hmm. Now it's going to get a little bit interesting. This is where this is where the illustrious gold star rule might play a factor in the end because we are approaching it. We're bearing down on it. Do you want to know a secret? I promise not to tell. Versus you can make it if you try. And Imran, to your point of saying you're getting a little bit lost between love songs, uh, until you get to nowhere, man, every Beatles song is a love song, so get used to it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to to be fair, all of the Beatles that I listen to, uh, that I've actually gone out of my way to listen to, have been the later Beatles stuff where they, you know, went to India and then experimented oh, so, with a lot of stuff. So Rubber Soul, Revolver, Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't I wasn't used to their love songs yet. Um, <laughs> what anyway. <made> <laughs> They were like the OG One Direction, obviously very different. <laughs> that they, was their market. Love songs they and were. cute haircuts. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that. 
They really were the original One Direction. Oh. Um, <laughs> Much better musically talented. Um, but Definitely. Yeah, you know what um, I mean. Like that, that's how they were marketed. Um, at least they wrote their own songs. To the hardcore <laughs> diehard Beatle fans out there who participated in Beatlemania in the 1960s, these are the views and opinions of Salome Hazelgrove and Imran Abbas of the Great Metal Standoff, and do not, they are not necessarily endorsed by those of the Great Metal Standoff. Here we go. <laughs> Let's get back to the battle at hand. Do you want to know a secret versus you can't? You can make it if you try. Well, I was going to go into another comparison, but now I'm a bit afraid to. Um, but the open board of do you want to know a secret? It, I actually think it you really hear how much Oasis are inspired by the Beatles, which anybody looking at them, but listen to talk tonight by Oasis and that open chord, it's exactly the same. They just bang. <laughs> Noted. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how, uh, do you want to know a secret? Um, the intro to it kind of sounds like, later era Beatles the the kind of slower weirder kind of stuff it's very dreamy correct me if I'm wrong but this definitely sounds like a McCartney song because I feel like he has a very distinct style of writing and listening to this song it's sung by Harrison but if some if some they can fact check us into saying it's a Lennon McCartney uh number. I think it's a Lennon McCartney and I say that because like the first so the, the opening line, um, but this song was inspired by I'm Wishing, which was in Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And the first two lines of the Disney song, Want to Know a Secret, Promise Not to Tell. And John Lennon's mum used to sing this to him as a kid. So that makes me think that Lennon had a lot of input on this one. Um, again, okay. I will put it certain, but that makes me think it was more of Lennon if it was his mum that was singing that to him, um, mm. which is... Who would have thought um, discussing Walt Disney on the Great Metal Standoff? <laughs> Interesting. Okay. But yeah, to confirm, it is Harrison's song. Mm, Harrison. It is a Harrison. Okay. It really feels like a McCartney-style song, particularly um, I got the vibes of uh, on Sgt. Pepper. There's a song called Fixing a Hole. I kind of got that vibe uh, from this song, which is the kind of dreamy pop song. I I really like it, though. It's... I feel like it's got that, it's, it's a very distinct style of music that the Beatles can only pull off, really. You Can Make It If You Try, in comparison, is very, uh, very soulful, very Aretha Franklin, or like Etta James kind of style. Um, I do really like the vocals and the, and the feel of this song. I reckon the vocals probably on this song are one of my favourites on the album. It's short, it's sweet, it's simple. It's, I'm pretty sure this one's a cover as well. Yeah, I actually have not decided my pick yet. This is a lot harder than I thought it would be. If You Try, originally written by Ted Jarrett, recorded by Gene Allison. I don't, I I think I'm quite solidly on the side of do you want to know a secret? Um, I do like You Can Make If You Try. It is quite deceptively simple. It sounds like a lot more complicated than it is. And like you said, Mick Jagger's vocals are a real standout, but... I just, if you want to know a secret, it's got that like childlike innocence. At the start, it teases a bit of like Spanish flamenco guitar, but then it moves back into that more harmonious Beatles sound. Like it, it's like they were just trying to cram a little bit of everything into just that first intro and verse. Um, but it does work. Um, I just think 
and, and like the lyrics are almost teasing, like I've known the secret, I've known for a week or two. It's it's just so cheeky. Um, so yeah, I think I'm on that side purely just, yeah, for that little, from flamenco to nursery rhymes, fairy tales. I was secret listening to this song. Like, what is it? <laughs> Let me in on it, please. Uh, Jason, what are you picking? It's tough. It's tough. Uh... Help me out here. Uh, I might go know a secret, and I don't. I'm, I don't think I'm basing that on much. Maybe just on the case of which one will I seek out more, and it might be know a secret. Yeah, I'm not basing it on much, but I just have a gut feeling that's where I want to go. Trust your gut. Uh, I've got an odd gut feeling that's leaning towards secret as well. I don't like it, but I'm gonna pick it. That's a big asterisk on the Beatles there. Yeah, I wouldn't call it the strongest song, but... You're not alone. The band members don't like it much. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, apparently it's not a band favourite. Um, yeah, I think it's really cute and fun. Cute and fun. All right. Okay. We've still got two more Beatles songs to come after this particular battle. So we are going to be giving away a few gold stars if the if any of those songs went up against any other Rolling Stone track or you'd want to actively seek that song out again, give it one if you must. But that is then, this is now. A Taste of Honey versus the last song on the Rolling Stone self-titled Walking the Dog. Fun fact, that was originally written by Rufus Thomas and it came out three months before the Rolling Stones version did. And A Taste of Honey... My oh my, that is a flat out jazz song and I am loving it. A Taste of Honey was a big shock on the on just listening to this in order. Yeah, it's it's got that three four feel to it, the um the swing. Um yeah, probably the most experimental song on the album. It's very operatic. The the melody is, you know, really nice. Uh, lots of reverb. Kinda sounds Italian almost, or like European, that kind of area. Um, that little, that wee little run at around one forty is fantastic. Um, so many things going on there. I yeah, a taste of honey is a really interesting song. I really like it. Putting it up against walking the dog is uh, tough because I it's really tough, like walking yeah. the dog. It sounds it's... like my life in lockdown. Um, walking the dog and <laughs> cups of tea with honey. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I feel like Walking the Dog kind of leans more towards that Beatles-style blues, which is the more happier, upbeat kind of style. Got that Rolling Stones attitude uh, still towards it. While it's still, still um, cheeky, hitting. yeah. Yeah. It's another one with a really interesting backstory. Um, so, like, again, written by Rufus Thomas, obviously not the Stones. Um, but I think the first 14 notes come from the... Mendelssohn's Wedding March from Midsummer Night's Dream, which is my favourite Shakespeare play. So again, it's got like a theatrical background, which is why I think it is so interesting. Um, and it's not only been covered by the Stones, it's been covered by Aerosmith and Green Day. So it's just a classic that's stuck. It's almost like you've had a band from every era pick this one up and do something with it. I think it's a really strong way to end an album um, as well. It's, it's, it's really cool. It's got that big run right up to the end of the track. Um, can see a dog like bouncing along um, to this song and the little whistles in there. Like, it yeah. work, but it does. It's sparkly and it's bouncy and it's just, it kind of represents everything you see 
on a dog's face when they're walking around at the dog park having the time of their lives. I can definitely imagine uh, Mick Jagger walking a dog along a beach on this uh, toward to this album, not to this album, to this song. The the guitar riff verses, especially when it switches up, I think in the third verse is uh, really cool. Um, that's definitely a standout for me, especially the guitar solo, just the whole guitar work. The the backing the backing vocals, which are a lot grittier than uh, they should be, but I like it. It's just really really different. Kind of the song kind of also gives me like ACDC vibes in like the term of like that upbeat party rock song. Like something you'd you'd dance to or you'd I guess walk your dog to. <laughs> yeah. I I still haven't decided yet. These are both great songs. It's a hell of a battle. Um Taste of Honey, it's it's like a little bit dramatic, a little bit creepy almost, both like lyrically mm. and the sound of the instruments. Like you can kind of picture like Paul just creeping around <laughs> a bit to this one. Um <laughs> Without, um, you know, putting putting a situation in anyone's mouth. Um, not to say that he is creeping around, but I can kind of see it happening to this. Um, yeah, it, it's one heck of a battle, um, particularly at the tail end of um one of the albums. Walking the dog, I took a liking to some of the drums there in Run, but I couldn't quite work out why. What do you? What is happening? What is Charlie Watts doing on this particular track? It's it is very groovy. This song. This song is. This song, when it came on, made me want to just move my head instantly. I just wanted to, to keep moving. His, I don't know, the drums have a certain charm to him. So a really I smooth... I couldn't tell you exactly what he's doing. So a super smooth jazz song versus a super groovy blues song to end the rolling. This is tough, but I'm going to go walking the dog. It's tough. That, this is a very, very tough one. But uh, I'll go walking the dog. I think. I think the one I would seek out again, and again, I'd probably go for both, but I think Walking the Dog, I'm a dog person. It's got that Midsummer Night's Dream connection. I think, like, it kind of sparks something within me. Um, but again, it's, it's very close. I would happily listen to either one of these on repeat. Here, so, here. Giant asterisks for Walking the Dog. Uh, this is going to hurt. But I'm gonna have to pick walking the dog too. Ah, uh, good battle, good battle. It hurts. <laughs> it. <laughs> I I can't think of any words. This is such a tough one. But we all went walking the dog. Well, Rolling Stones is done. Two more Beatles. We knew tracks. it was gonna be tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, we're not. This is what I signed up for. We're not saying that. The Rolling Stones or the Beatles are the better bands. We're just saying, we're just asking ourselves which band had the better start to their careers. So remember that. Remember that once we deliver our final scores. Two more Beatles tracks to talk about against a blank Rolling Stones slate. So I'm just going to ask this question, Salome and Imran. There's a place. Does that deserve your gold star? Will you seek this song out again, or are there any other tracks against the Rolling... Uh, is there any other Rolling Stone track that you reckon this song would defeat in a battle? Disclaimer, uh, I love the lyrics to this song. I really do. But I just think it, it's up against a very strong album, and it on its own, I, I just don't know if it's enough. And we know that if you've heard me on the Graham L standoff in the past, I don't give out gold stars easily. 
I might do it later, but I just don't know if this is the one for me. What about you, Emran? Can you convince me to give up my stars that I don't give up easily? Nah. I, I'll look, this song is, it's catchy, but, you know, sometimes that's not a good thing. And <laughs> this is one of those instances. I reckon the mic peaks when some notes are hit by Lennon there. It does, yeah, actually. That happens um, a few times throughout the album, I believe, when uh, Lennon gets pretty passionate. The, uh, you can hear the mic peaking a little bit. Yeah. Credit There's to Lennon, a place. giving it his alls. This is a song that'll haunt me. Yeah, to me, this doesn't get anything. I'm, I'm willing to let this one go. I think we're once again all agreed on that one. All right, well, we'll move on then. Nah, this one's getting the gold star. Twist and shout, come on. <laughs> come on. It's the best one off it. All right, best look, track on I've the only, album. I've literally written down one thing in my notes here for Twist and Shout, and that is everyone knows this song. Therefore, it's getting the gold star. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's like the icon of the album. John Lennon went so hard at this one that because he was sick, they said no, we have to record this song last because the rest of the band was worried he'd just destroy his voice for recording the rest of it if he'd done this first because of the throat shred in particular. It's like everything about this song is just it's so much fun. It, it's cool. It's it, it just kind of brings the elements of every other song on this album together from the cheesy from the fun to the romantic and just whacks it all together in one big final kabang um again walking the dog was a strong finish to the stones but i think the beatles had the strongest finisher on their album because it just you just go hit play again on the album like after hearing that you'd be like oh my god i want to hear more yep and we were teasing an acapella chat legendary uh, uh, uh the only reason why i'm delivering it like that is because i have not got the courage to do the impression on record so that's that's the best you're getting <laughs> but, uh, we always talk about iconic moments in music occasionally on the show or when we discuss music in general conversation whether it be on or off the record twist and shout is not just iconic it is legendary it is music immortality that that moment of acapella that guitar riff, everything about it. If you've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you'll know. So all three of us, unanimous, by the way? Yeah. Oh, 100%. It, it, it's got to take it. This is the most certain I've ever been about a gold star point in a great metal standoff. Really nothing else to be said there. Finish your point, Imran? No, that was it. Just Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> we could just shamelessly plug Ferris Bueller. <laughs> just go watch the movie and you'll know. You'll, you'll know why it gets the gold point. Actually, this is a little bit of an embarrassing thing. I, I asked the question earlier, where do you think, where were you when you first heard your first uh, Beatles or Rolling Stones track? I'm, I genuinely can't remember when my first Beatles experience was, but I have a feeling it was from the opening scene of the first episode around the twist where uh, the family are moving to the lighthouse for the first time and they're singing Twist and Shout in the ute. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my gosh. They I had to have really. played it on like the TV in primary school back then, so it might have been you know a free period of time at primary school. So they brought the TV in, turned the lights off, and played an episode around the twist, and that happened to be the episode. And maybe Ooh, you know they're singing "Twisted Shout." I might have gone home and asked my parents about it, and they said, "Oh yeah, that's the Beatles." I, I have a feeling <laughs> it's that. 
I'm not quite okay, what sure. What happened with me in um, Yellow Submarine, to be honest? It's like, what is this song? It's so much fun. And they would have gone, oh, here you go. Hmm. But speaking Confer- of shameless plug, I'm going to have to go rewatch Round the Twist now. <laughs> oh, I think I do too. <laughs> I want to find the, the scene. Twist, round the Twist and Shout. Perfect. <laughs> Coming up on the Great Metal Standoff, Imran, Jason, and Salome review Round the Twist. It, as if this could get any more Australian. Conversely, with the Rolling Stones, I swear that um, Route 66, there's a cover version on the Cars soundtrack. I think that's where my dad would have introduced me to Rolling Stones, because in the end credits, there's a cover of Route 66 on that movie. Oh, who's, who covers it? I, again, you might need to fact check me here. I think it's Van Halen. I'm not sure. I think that I'm incorrect what? there, but we'll... I'll have Pause. to. We'll have to check. We might end up going off the record, and we'll come back. But uh, in the end, we do have final scores to break because the battle is over. Everyone, how do you feel getting over that? What a hurdle! That was that's, insane. That's like the toughest one since um, Grunge Month Dirt Ten. Never mind. I have to say, um, there was been? yeah, that got tricky there. Yeah, we've done 20 episodes of this great metal standoff. Our 20th episode spectacular is the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Yeah, what? Has it been the toughest one since the three-way? Gee. For me, definitely. Um, uh, not I haven't been me. around for a while. <laughs> then again, I think, yeah, Imran's done nine of these. I think I remember, well, by the way, if you haven't listened to our three-way, Dirt versus 10 versus Nevermind, do go check that out, episode uh, episode nine, that is. Imran, actually, I'm thinking Imran. I reckon the one we did, Alice in Chains facelift versus Soundgarden bad motor fingers up there in terms of trickiness. That was very tricky. I had a tough time with that one. Yeah, I think yeah those ones might have been very tricky. Uh, again, that would be episode 11, facelift versus bad motor finger. But here we are at the end of episode 20, about to deliver the final scores for the Beatles versus the Rolling Stones. Oh, dear, Ooh, oh, dear. Oh, dear. Drum but before we reveal the final score, because Imran, honestly, throughout this Zoom call, has now just been constantly waving at his camera. You can't see it because it's audio, but he has been waving at me because he has just got the chance to fact-check me because I brought up the Route 66 uh, cover from the Cars film. So, Imran, please fact-check me. You had me very excited when you said that Van Halen did a cover of Route 66, but that is, in fact, incorrect. There are two versions on the Cars soundtrack. One is by Chuck Berry and the other by John Mayer. So, uh, there you go. Okay, thanks for that. Thanks for that. I, I do no recall, worries. I vividly recall that uh, from the closing credits, there was a very much more contemporary rock kind of feel for it in the credits there. But, uh, yeah, good to know. So, John Mayer or Chuck Berry. Sweet. Okay, now it is time to officially... Declare the winner. Let's add up these grand points here. We'll start with myself, and it is... Oh, man, it is so close. So, for me, the Rolling Stones 7 to Beatles, please, please me 6. That is ungodly close. Ooh. One point separating the two albums. Like that. That's just the standard and the quality and the rivalry that personified there. We'll go to Imran next because uh, he had a bit more of a distinguished finish. Rolling Stones, total score of eight to the Beatles, four. So that gives it two grand points, and now it's pretty much academic at this point. Let's have a look at Salome's. Salome as well, seven to six. Clean sweep, Rolling Stones. Wow. Oh, nice. who'd have thunk it? 
I, yeah, wow. I mean, I know deep down I prefer the Beatles, but yeah, I've been... I have to now conclude that, in my opinion, the Rolling Stones got off to a better start. With an album full of covers to boot. Mm. I mean, who can, who can deny the swagger of Mick Jagger? You could say you got moves like Jagger. I'm sorry, had to. I wouldn't say it, but you could. Yeah, and I just did, and I don't feel very happy about it. Ah, well. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> thing, uh, if you say it on the Great Metal Standoff, it is immortal, and we've immortalised our opinion. <laughs> the Rolling Stones got off to the better start, so there you go. Wow. It's... Sal, mate, I know for me and you, I feel like the fact that it is this close, you could come to us next week and we could have changed our opinions. And we each had an asterisk as well, which really kind of solidifies that uh, depending on my mood it could yeah. just change like that depends on the mood we gave a few by default and there's still a few i'm sitting there thinking yeah i love route 66 but yeah standing there is a quality opener again it opens strong it closes strong and there's some good songs in between on both and they're music essentials they're not even just metal essentials because like i said i reckon pretty much every, we are in agreement that every band that we know and love and talk about on this show at some point drew influence from one of these bands. So it's pretty much essential that we do need to pay homage to the influences of our influences. Definitely. I'm, I'm still not feeling right about picking walking the dog over a taste of honey. So that's going <laughs> to haunt me tonight when I sleep. That yeah. God, that is a tough battle to pick apart. Even like Love Me Do versus Carol, Chains versus Mona. Gosh. My goodness. Well, somewhere the metal gods are judging us. Listen, it's a 3-0 win, but I mean, look how close these margins are. So it's not really that much of a runaway. No. Look, if you were to put up any other Beatles album against the first Rolling Stones album, I think the Beatles would have smashed it out of the park. You might be right, actually, too, yeah. But, again, this just goes back to the whole Beatles v. Rolling Stones question. It just will never get answered. I don't think it ever will. It's an age-old question. No one will ever know the answer. Where, yep, I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to make that judgment um, ever again. (laughs) (laughs) But it made for a fun discussion on the 20th episode, Spectacular, so... There's nothing else more Happy to say. Birthday. Episode 21, it's coming of age by that point. Yay! Aww. Yay. Coming of age. Oh, baby's soon. Growing up. It only took two years to reach episode 20, but I'm very glad we did. And to anyone who has listened to a single episode between the episode 1 and episode 20, thanks very much. It's a great fun to make these, and I hope you enjoy listening to them too. Salme, we haven't seen you for real in over a year. Thanks for coming back for this one. Thank you for having me back. It's been great to uh, catch up and, you know, have another great chat about two albums. Imran, I'll see you in the next battle. See you too, buddy. Nice seeing you again, Salome. 3-0 win for the Rolling Stones in a very closely contested battle only says that in three people's opinion, the Rolling Stones had the ever, ever so slightly better start to their incredible 50, borderline 60 year career. And for all Rolling Stones fans out there, thank you to Charlie Watts for the lives you touch through all of your music. 
you leave an everlasting legacy to your name and will be loved and respected forever. And thanks to Imran and Salome for joining me for this special battle on the show. Once I'm done here, I'm going to go off and listen to more Beatles and Rolling Stones. And you should too. Thanks for tuning in to another show. If you're new here, we have 19 more battles just like this one for you to explore. Plus, you can stay up to date with us for future battles at facebook.com forward slash metal standoff pod or facebook.com forward slash mosh pit on sin, sin being spelt S-Y-N, the weekly radio show on sin for all your rock, metal and punk needs. This show is merely the opening act to the main radio show in terms of rock and roll chats you sure better check that show out. It's Mosh Pit on Sin. Catch it every Thursday, 8pm at 90.7, DAB Plus or Digital Radio, or from your preferred device at syn.org.au. That's all for now. Until next time, metal up your ass!